Good morning and welcome to San Diego First Church. My name is Matt Wilson. I'm one of the pastors here on staff and it's so good to be with you this morning. Thank you so much for being a part of our family and especially this day, Mother's Day. We want to just thank all of the moms in the room for those who have mothered, those in our congregation who have showed us so much compassion and love, those who nurture our church and our children. Thank you so much. Uh, as a part of our celebration of Mother's Day, we have just a, a, a small token of our appreciation in the back, a succulent plant that we'd love for you to take home uh, as just a, a token of our appreciation for you all. We have a lot going on in the life of this church. The first is this next Saturday, we have a men's breakfast uh, here on campus. If you are uh, wanting to attend this event, please RSVP so that we have a good idea of how much food to buy. Let us know that you're coming so that uh, we're looking forward to a great time on Saturday. Uh, in addition, we have our biggest community outreach taking place the fourth week of July, which is our Vacation Bible School, our VBS celebration, our, our outreach to the community. And this is not some small task. This takes our entire church. So if you have not yet volunteered, we'd love for you to volunteer to be a part of this community outreach, not just to our kids, but to the community families, uh, a part of our neighborhood. If you are interested in volunteering, love for you to talk to uh, Rihanna or Jordan, and they can give you all the information on what it is to volunteer. Uh, last is that we have uh, our church board elections next Sunday. You can vote not only in person, but if you are a church member, you will be able to receive uh, an email with an electronic ballot, and we'd love for you to vote either in person or uh, electronically uh, beginning next Sunday. With that being said, let's continue on thinking and being worshiping our God by passing the peace of Christ to one another. As we continue to prepare our hearts and minds for worship, 
would love to invite Katie Jacobson up to read from Psalm 66. Good morning. I'll be reading from Psalm 66, 8 through 20. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through the fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you, vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and offering of rams. I will offer bull and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Praise the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. we are able, let's stand together this morning. Be grateful for the God that has saved us. Meditate on the grace that you have been blessed with. What Jesus has done for you, for me, for us. for you, Lord.
Christ that has been lavished upon us. We are grateful, Lord. We sing with our hearts and our minds. Christ, the presence that is always with us, grace that follows us. Oh Lord, we worship you and remember what you have given for us so that we may have life. 
you are able to see the evidence of the love of Christ with you. And I think one of the ways that I see it is in our children, in the way in which we see the growth of our children and the faith that is growing in our children. And so at this point in time, I'd like us to be able to do the tradition that we always do, which is to pray for our children as we dismiss them into their time and their faith as they are growing in their faith. So how about if I ask you to be seated and we will pray for them together. Would you pray with me? And this is my prayer for you, our children, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. May you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. All right, kids, see you later. Have fun today. As the choir is coming forward today, I'm going to invite up Sutton Jocelyn, and she's going to be reading 
our scripture reading out of 1 Peter 3 today. Good morning. I'm going to be reading 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 22. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. The word of the Lord.
Thank you, choir. I love that song. Wow. My name's Dee, and there are a few of you here I haven't met. I just want to say welcome to you. And um, if that song's the only thing you take away from this morning, I hope it's just been a great morning for you because it is just, thank you again, choir, just beautiful. Um, if this is your first time here, welcome. I hope this um, might be a place you could consider home. And if you're not from around here and you're just coming this weekend, I hope maybe it's a place you could consider a home away from home. And for those of you who have been here a long time and have made this your home, thank you, because I'm part of this home too, and it's just great to be here with you. I would like to make a couple comments before I jump into the passage that was read for us. Thank you, Seton, for reading that passage. Um, the first is that um, this is the last Sunday um, that for 12 weeks that um, Matt Wilson's going to be with us. He's going on sabbatical after having served here for seven years, um, 12 weeks to continue doing a number of things, including uh, trying to wrap up his doctoral work at Duke and um, come back refreshed, ready to jump in for um, more journey together in this community of faith. So I hope you will consider adding Matt and his family to your prayer list um, with the journey that he is on. Secondly, one of the things that Matt helps us with are the lectionary companion readings. We had one that went January and February during the first quarter that was actually December, January, February. We had a second lectionary companion that really just covered the, um, the season of Lent. And now for this third quarter of this particular year that comprises June, July, and August, We'll have our third one coming out next week. For, so several of you have been asking, will the next uh, lectionary companion reader come? And the answer is yes. We should have it available next week. And uh, grateful to Matt for having prepared that before uh, he embarks on this journey um, of uh, rest, renewal, study, and a few other things. Um, the passage that we're in that was just read is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 22. As I'm guessing you would know, I read a lot of things in preparation for Sunday morning and look at various commentators who give a perspective. There are some commentators who actually follow the readings like we follow over the course of three years. And one of those individuals who does that started off his commentary on this particular reading for this week in this fashion. If I were you, I would consider using a different reading for this Sunday's message. <laughs> it's not real encouraging when that's how the commentator begins the particular reflection on this passage. There are a number of reasons. Um, one is there are a couple other wonderful readings. There's a great one in Acts that's powerful. There's a, you heard the psalm reading. Um, the one in John is um, one of my favorites. It is kind of the matching twin to last week's John reading where Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. This reading from John, the latter portion of 14, follows up and says, 
that if you obey my commandments, we will love you and we'll come and make our mansion with you and in you. So it's a, a wonderful companion passage to last week's and a very powerful one about the invitation for us to live now in ways that God has prepared for us to live now, which actually is a beautiful segue to this 1 Peter chapter 3 passage. Before we dig in a little bit deeper into the verses of this passage, let me make mention again, just a reminder to us of the context of this passage. The disciple, Peter, is writing to a group of people that are part of, I said this numerous times, what is modern-day Turkey today. These are displaced people from five provinces. Um, I, I think it's uh, Bithynia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and um, another place that you can look up and catch me at the beginning of First Peter. They're all there together. And um, in this particular letter, intended to be circulated among the churches and the believers, probably many of them home churches. And it's addressing a group of people who are very displaced. They are not part of the ruling group, and probably in their neighborhood, they are not part of the insiders group unlikely to be eligible for property ownership, certainly not passing along property ownership, probably no voting rights, probably feeling as if they are displaced in multiple ways. This is the group to whom Peter is writing. We have some passages where it seems to speak to those who are in power or those who have power and how to use it well and I, I would contend that all of us have some level of power and we need to learn how to use that well. But this is addressed to those who are under someone else's power in most regards. Here's what I find fascinating about Peter is he comes back to over and over again in this particular letter the issue of suffering. Difficult times hard to live. And I would suggest that when you are in those moments, it can feel like nobody knows what you're going through. Sometimes it's because you've told no one. And I would suggest find someone you trust and tell them Sometimes it feels like no one would care. Here's what I love about this letter. It feels like Peter again and again and again and again and again says, I hear you. I see you. I know you. There is something incredibly powerful about being heard. Likewise, something amazing when you're noticed. 
in a good way. Sometimes we crave being noticed so much that we're actually okay to be seen in a bad way just to be seen. Sometimes the feeling of aloneness can be so overwhelming or the feeling of uncertainty or lack of significance or whatever the case might be that causes us to labor over not being known, not being seen, that will act out just to be seen. But Peter isn't acknowledging them for that. He says, I, I want you to know, I know you're suffering. You might say, does he really? I'm not sure. I don't know exactly at what stage Peter is in his life, though he does say toward the end of this letter that he's an elder. Now, it seems like it's referencing an elder within the church, so a place of leadership. But I'm guessing as well that a few years have passed and he feels older than many. We also know, at least by church tradition, how Peter died. He was crucified. And church tradition has it that he was crucified upside down. Unwilling to take the same posture that his Savior Jesus did. At least there is some evidence that maybe he said no, upside down. I don't deserve that. So there is enough suffering and understanding if that's where ultimately his destiny took him to connect and relate to a group of people whose journey is not easy, whose pathway is difficult, and who wonder about what's next. It is not unfolded exactly the way I anticipated. Peter makes a connection to these individuals and says in very powerful ways, very intimate ways, because this is intimate language. I hear you, I see you, I know you. And revisits what has become part of their identity. He addresses them over and over again because this is how they see themselves. I would like us then to jump into some of these particular verses. It, it begins with kind of a question. Is somebody going to really do you harm? Particularly for doing good. And then Peter kind of responds to his own question and says, well, yeah, maybe, I guess so. It was like this hopeful that they wouldn't. But yeah, sometimes that happens too. Peter in here says, well, even when that takes place, I want you to know you are blessed. And I think, at least for me, that word blessed or blessing, it gets thrown around a lot in Christian circles. But it's also not 
language you use a whole lot at work. Maybe a little bit, but it just comes across as interesting in a work setting. Or, um, you know, I finish getting a package at the post office and look at somebody, and, and I think this is a beautiful thing. At the close of something, sometimes we offer a blessing, have a great day, or God bless you. That's wonderful, though we usually tack that more likely onto the end of a sneeze, <laughs> which somehow kind of minimizes how powerful the word blessing is. We have the Beatitudes, which uses this language over and over again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And again, our use of the word, it just has become so colloquialized, so used in particular situations that we miss the potency of Jesus' statement this expression of there's joy in the midst of this and God's blessing is for you. First of all, it's really hard to believe that in the midst of suffering, there's blessing in the midst of that. There's joy in the midst of that. But it seems like that's exactly what Peter's saying. But the more poignant piece here is you might understand your circumstances in a way that feel incredibly difficult and painful, but I want you to know the kingdom of heaven is for you. You've not missed out. You've not been left out. You didn't get in the wrong line. You didn't somehow forsake something that made you no longer eligible for this. I want you to know the kingdom of heaven is for you. And if we can borrow from John's passage it is for you in the hope of the future eternally, and it's for you in the hope of today. It is for then, and it is for now. So then, Peter, saying that this is for you, there is a follow-up to it that says, and this, then, is how I invite you to live. And passage after passage, including this one, we have this admonition of the kingdom is for you. I know you. But I'm also inviting you to live a particular way for a particular reason. This is for you, and here is how you should live not like those who are imposing things on you, but like the Christ you serve. The Christ you set apart or sanctify as Lord. The one who is supposed to be more than just the Lord of the Sabbath day, but is supposed to be the Lord of the weekday. The one who is supposed to be the Lord of your private life as well as your public life. The one who is supposed to be Lord not only of the faith community, but the neighborhood community. The way in which you live is a reflection of God's blessing on you and God's purpose in you. 
So, in verse 14 says, so don't fear what they fear. Don't be frightened by the things that people throw onto you out of their own fear. Let the Spirit of Christ love you in such a way that fear gets cast out. It's one of the promises for us. It's not to say that there aren't some things that are frightening and certainly lead to great uncertainty and have the potential to snowball into downright fear. But Peter is inviting us into the place where Jesus says, follow me. Come with me. I know you. And here's one of the things that I love. Peter is embodying what he is inviting the people of these five provinces to do. Jesus came to Peter and said, I know you. You're a fisherman. You have a personality that is pretty powerful. I'm, in fact, I'm going to call you the rock, Peter. I want you to come follow me and be fishers of men. I want you to use your skills and talents in a particular way. I'm inviting you into my family. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. And there certainly is the family of disciples, but we have this notion of God that God exhibits community. It's kind of a strange thing we believe. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in community. One God expressed in a variety of ways, but this expression also expresses to us a community. Communion. Of one. And invites the church, you and me, into that community of God. Jesus invites Peter into the midst of that community. What? <laughs> it's nuts. And Peter is now inviting the people to whom he writes to join in. This is for you too. Peter is now the purveyor of this. Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father has sent the Holy Spirit that might live with us and live in us. And we become filled with the Spirit in such a way that we now become those who invite others into this fellowship of living faithfully in family. Because, he says to them, this good news is for you. Part of that invitation, though, is to live in a different way. You need to live differently than those who are in power over you. You need to respond in different ways. doesn't matter if they are intentionally baiting you or if it's just the process of how life is that they are baiting you to try and respond in the same way that the world responds out of its fears. I um, remember back... Uh, when I was in college, it was a long, long time ago, so I had to go through the file banks there just for a second to remember those things. Um, I played football in college, and I know some of you 
You knew that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> you took one look and, um, yeah. He's a footballer. Our college actually didn't have intercollegiate football. This was intramural flag football. Okay, so. <laughs> but because we didn't have intercollegiate football, everybody who came there because they, you know, wanted to go to a good Christian school, really wanted to play football someplace else. All of those hopeful wannabes played football. I was not one of those. I didn't play in high school, but I did love backyard football, and I loved playing flag football. But as a freshman, oh my goodness. The first few games, I would limp back to my room. Even though it was flag football, I can remember Doug Bias pay, playing nose guard on the opposite team. I'd be playing end, and I, it just... I wouldn't see it coming. I'd probably try and do it down and in, and he just would step back, leave his foot right there, push me over his leg, and I'd go flat on my face. He'd line up with somebody on the other side and do a cutback tackle that would put me flat on my back. And it was not like soft grass. I was getting killed out there. Game after game, it was part of the dues, I think, of being a freshman. Doug, of course, was a senior at the time. Oh, my word. And he sang in one of those gospel quartets. You'd think that he would have a completely different approach. But every play, every game, if he was on the other side of the line, he was baiting me again and again, along with John Rusich and Fred Rusich. Why can I remember their names to this day? They were baiting me again and again, to try and respond in like manner and then act so innocent. What? He tripped. I didn't trip. It just tripped. I, that's how you play. Aren't you supposed to block? Yeah, yeah, okay. And I think I have remembered that for the good reason that again and again, whether it's intentional or not, the way in which our culture operates, the way in which organizations are designed, the way in which systems work, we are enticed, baited, prodded to respond in the same way that the world responds out of fear, out of self-preservation and gain, out of power, and Peter is saying, hold on, hold on. The invitation into this family is to respond differently. Differently. And there's a reason for that different response that Peter seems to say right in this passage. Those who treat you that way and see your response they might feel shame for the way they conducted themselves because that reflection may lead to confession which can really uh, lead to salvation which can re then lead to redemption which can then lead to reconciliation
Watch the Spirit work. Will it work that way always? I don't know. Probably not. But here's what I think Peter is saying by the story he tells about Jesus is that the kingdom of heaven is for them as well. And if the kingdom of heaven is for them as well, how will they hear it? Unless they see in us something that's different? Does Christ make a difference? If not, why would I be interested? Does Christ change anything? If not, I think I'm doing okay. But if you're telling me Christ changes the way you live and in the midst of your circumstances you have hope and that hope leads you to live in a way that seems beyond your current circumstances without the kind of fear that I can use to my advantage and manipulate to my gain, I might be interested in that. Because you know, there are times when I just want to be known as well put on a great front. I can push things around and people around, but down deep inside, I'd love to be seen for something else. I'd love to be heard for something else. I'd like to be known for who I am. Or maybe what I'd really like to be known for is what I could be. So you're telling me that the reason you respond differently is because of this one, Jesus? Tell me that story. So Peter reaches out in this letter on behalf, I think, of the one who saw him, heard him, and knew him. In the midst of his failures and his successes, in the midst of his struggles and his joys, in the midst of his suffering when all things have not turned out exactly like he thought when he left the boat and all the fish. But he found something in Christ that changed him forever. On behalf of that Christ, he reaches to these people and it says, I want you to know I see you, Jesus sees you. I hear you, Jesus hears you. I want to know you. Jesus certainly knows you. And this good news is for you. But it's an invitation to allow the good news to change you because this good news is also for those others. And that's part of our calling. It says in this passage, Jesus went and preached to the systems, to the powers, to those who longed for something different and didn't even know how much they desperately needed it. It's probably a reference back to Genesis chapter 6 and the first six verses there. It's a nod to something that we don't talk about a whole lot of a, a Jewish belief in world history that takes us back to Genesis, but the message that I think Peter is trying to get at here is that Jesus longs for all 
to hear that the good news is for you. For God so loved the world, as I heard quoted this morning in Sojourner's class, that he gave his only begotten son, that anyone, the invitation to anyone. My prayer for us this morning is that you might hear that you are seen and you are heard. And can I just say, in the midst of what I hope is a wonderful celebration for so many on this Mother's Day, that if I think to my mother, probably woefully underappreciated for how often you feel alone, you wonder, does anybody see, does anybody hear? And I wish I would have told my mom far more often, I see you, I hear you, mom, and I want to know you more. May that posture be the posture that we take along with Peter, the people we come into contact with, particularly those on whom we would love to just throw all of our fears right onto them, particularly those we don't know well. We know just enough to know that we don't like what we know. And so we throw everything else onto them and pile it on, knowing full well we don't know half the stuff that we're piling on them as if that could be true. Because we don't take the time to say, I want to hear. I want to see. I want to know. I want you to break down my prejudices, my biases. I want to hear your storyline. And maybe then, if you want, you might be interested in mine as well. That's where love starts digging in deep. That's the hard work of discipleship. That's the transformative power that breaks down the barriers of fear and the things that separate us and invite us to a place where we respond differently because we have been loved and we know what love does. May that enable us to breathe deeply in whatever circumstances we face, to relax all of the tense muscles of fear, to embrace God's goodness and blessing and recognize how important it is that we bless more than sneezes in our life. I'm going to invite the band to come as I pray. Lord, we need you We need you. We confess we need you. We need forgiveness. Remind us of the shame of the ways in which we have harmed others and made idols of so many things in our life. And may that shame lead us to confession and repentance. Lord, hear our prayers. We need you, Lord, because we can't bring about transformation on our own. We can try and up our level of discipline, increase our level of commitment, and that just seems over and over again to fall flat on its face because we can't do it alone. We need your filling, your spirit, 
to dwell in us. We need you, Lord. Because so often other people, whether they know it or not, bait us because of our history, our hot buttons, our experiences. We trip over somebody's foot. We get blindsided by a tackle. And we're tempted to respond in old patterns, old ways. Ready to take up arms. To compete, to go to battle and defeat. Oh, God, we need you. We need your transforming power. We need to hear this morning our name called and the blessing that the good news is for us. Give us ears to hear. A heart that's sensitive to your spirit's wooing. A gentle voice speaking our name. Oh God, we need you. And we need your spirit to fill every corner of our life and transform the wounds into places of courage. Transform the bruises into tougher skin, but a gentle touch. Transform a broken heart into a heart that's beating with the rhythm of your love, beating as one with a community of faith, beating to the drumbeat of your love. We need you, Lord. Thank you for reaching out to us. Thank you. 
the promise your very body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave it has no claim oh we lift in faith and sing in the morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring Peter says, Jesus is the hope, the living hope, the resurrected hope. So this week, don't fear what others fear. Stop it. Embrace what Christ is doing, filling you with Christ's spirit, that you might live into that living hope and be transformed within so that you know the kingdom of heaven is for you. And also, the kingdom of heaven is for those with whom you come into contact. May we live in such a way that we live out that truth. Go in the living hope and peace of Christ. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.